franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with a business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco and I am joined by my colleague Roxanne Rapsky with FranNet of Dallas-Fort Worth in Oklahoma. And the purpose of our podcast is to bring you information and resources related to all things franchising. And today we are thrilled to welcome our guest, Nick Friedman. Nick is the co-founder of College Hunks, Hauling Junk, and Moving, and we love his story of how he got in, got started in entrepreneurship and thought that you would enjoy hearing it too. So Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. We know how busy you are. We really appreciate you taking time out to share your story with our listeners and our viewers today. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we first started this podcast, we said Nick would be a great guest and you're so busy. It took us a few months to get you on the calendar, but we greatly appreciate it. So let's just kind of dive in to how you became an unpredicted entrepreneur. Um, you were in college. Uh, you shared that you were getting a BA in economics and Spanish, and you were also an athlete. So Tell us how this whole business owner thing got started for you. Yeah, so I was really brought up to follow the more traditional career path, work hard in school, get good grades, get a job after I get a degree, and then just kind of move up the corporate ladder. And I was home for summer vacation before my senior year of college. And my buddy from high school approached me with a beat up cargo van that his mom offered uh, him to use to go around doing odd jobs that summer. And we actually credit his mom, not just with the lending of the van, but we also credit her with coming up with this catchy name. She looked at us and she said, you know, you guys could be like college hunks who haul junk. And we laughed at first and then we were like, you know, that's kind of catchy. It's not what people typically associate with movers or junk haulers. So we just put flyers around the mailbox. People had a need for the service. They thought the name was catchy. And uh, we ended up writing a business plan our senior year of college, and it won an entrepreneurship competition. So that gave us a little more confidence in the idea. Uh, and then shortly after we graduated, we decided, you know what, let's make this a full-time venture. So uh, there were definitely some skeptics uh, that said, you know, wait, you're going to quit uh, after college to start a junk removal business or a, a moving company? Is that really a good idea? And uh, when we first started, we were doing all the work ourselves. So I always tell the story about how we had the 800 number routed to our cell phone and we'd be in the driver's seat driving the truck, somebody might complain about erratic driving and I'd be the one on the other side answering the phone <laughs> while driving saying, you know, we'll fire those guys when they get back to the office. You know, we'll tell them to be safer on the road. We don't condone that type of driving in our company. So probably <laughs> fired ourselves at least three or four times that first summer before we wised up and, and eventually learned how to work on the business, not just in it and, and learn how to eventually scale the business to multiple trucks. And then, as you mentioned, you know, today we've got over 200 franchise locations. So uh, I call it a 20 year overnight success is, uh, is really what it's become. 
Well, you talk about that leading to working on the business and then led to franchising. And so I'm sure you consolidate a lot, a lot in there. So can you just expand on that a little bit more? Like, cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs make that mistake. They work in their business and not on their business. So I, I think you should expand on that a little bit more. And then we'll probably want to know a little bit about getting prepared to become a franchisor. Absolutely. So we, as I mentioned, we were doing all the work ourselves, hauling the junk, answering the right. phones, driving the truck, entering things into a spreadsheet. And it was not until we started to burn out a little bit that we decided, you know what, let's, you know, let's figure out how we can get off the truck. And one of our mentors recommended to us a book called The E-Myth Revisited it's by wow. a guy named Michael Gerber. And really the simple message in that book is the reason so many small businesses fail is because the entrepreneur spends all his or her time doing the technical work of the business. And of course, the technical work has to get done at the beginning, but eventually you want to create systems and processes so that you could hire somebody to do some of the technical work while you go out and, and develop more clients or uh, build build the business further. So when we read that book, it was like the light bulb moment for us that if we were ever going to have another truck, let alone another location, we've got to learn how to document everything that we're doing. And uh, eventually that's what led to us being able to get off the truck, hire a set of employees. And the book also talks a lot about franchising, uh, the idea of franchising being a business model uh, that's sort of a recipe for executing a business in a box. And, and even if you're not going to franchise your business, you want to be able to develop the systems so that your business could be replicated or handed to somebody else. And so when we read that, uh, it sort of put in the back of our mind this notion of franchising. We started doing more research about it. Uh, we attended some International Franchise Association events, the IFA, uh, and met some folks that were uh, specializing in helping taking a small business uh, that at that point had become pretty successful in helping turn it into a business that could be uh, packaged, as, packaged as a franchise concept. And that was another whole steep learning curve for us, but uh, and happy to expand on that as well. But that's kind of how what led us from being just two guys with our, our cargo van and an 800 number to eventually being a pretty successful local operation to eventually then being able to franchise into other markets. I, that's so such a good explanation of that. And, you know, you, there's only, you can't scale a business. There's, if there's only you and, you know, a few handful of people actually doing the work every day, there's no way to scale that. So, I'm sure that it took a lot of uh, time and energy and effort and thought and resources to put together those processes and systems so that it could be replicated. But then you're, as Roxanne mentioned and you alluded to, able to work on the business, hire people, and then that's how you're able to scale. Yeah. And, and it's to your point, it's not just a flip of the switch, you know, create some systems and, 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 you know, you're done with it. It's, it's an ever evolving process. I mean, even to this day, we're still evolving our systems and our processes and best practices uh, for supporting our franchises, for awarding our franchises, for uh, helping our franchises grow and, uh, and providing them the tools to help them be successful in their business as well. Uh, but for us, it literally just started with checklists, like documenting what we did every day, how we wore the uniform, how we greeted the client, how we loaded the truck, how we priced our jobs, how we answered the phone. And then eventually, as we started to be able to hire people that could do that effectively, we also empowered them with the ability to help improve upon those systems. They say, hey, 
if you think there's a better way, let's do it and document it so that we're not just beholden to one person, you know, pulling one lever, but we've got the ability to expand even further beyond that. And then, you know, ultimately our vision was to become a national brand and franchising was the logical path to do that. And the great thing about franchising, which you guys know, uh, is it creates a, a business opportunity for somebody that may not want to do all the, you know, creative heavy or, or hard work, heavy lifting of, of creating something from scratch, but take something that's already been sort of vetted and proven and then be able to implement that, apply their own energy and effort uh, and execution of the business model to then see it produce uh, the financial return and sort of the personal professional fulfillment as well that, that ultimately we feel our business model uh, offers. So that's kind of uh, how that uh, how that evolved. How long were you in business before you franchised and how how many how large were you? Because I mean, you talk about that 20 year overnight success, right? So how large were you before you franchised? Yeah, I would say we probably franchised a little prematurely. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of small business owners will come and talk to me about wanting to franchise their company, their small business. And I actually probably spend more time trying to talk them out of doing it, at least at that moment, uh, rather than encouraging them to do it right away. And what I mean by that is, you know, at the time, we still only had the one location. Uh, we had grown a pretty successful business. We were doing over a million in revenue and, and had a pretty healthy bottom line. And, and it had some decent sized team, you know, probably uh, eight to 10 trucks, maybe 20 to 30 part-time employees with some management and, and some administrative uh, support. But we hadn't replicated that in another market yet. And I think we probably would have been well-served to try to replicate our success in another market to then prove that model before looking to go out and, and sell franchises. So I, that's what I mean by I think we did it a little prematurely. Uh, so we started our business officially in 2005. We began franchising around the 2008 timeframe. So it was about three years into our business journey. Uh, and if you guys remember what was going on in the housing market right after 2008, uh, it wasn't probably the best timing for us either because, uh, you know, 2009, 10, 11, and 12 were kind of uh, climbing out of that uh, that housing crash. And our business model is very tied to uh, people buying and selling homes or having discretionary income to, for home improvement. And so uh, there were definitely some headwinds, but I think er good early lesson for us in business that it's not always easy. It's not always uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns, there's a lot of hard work and effort that goes into it. So uh, that was sort of the evolution for us in, in being able to franchise uh, the, 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 the business model. And so when we started franchising, we had to, uh, you know, I, to some degree, I, I describe it as building the plane in flight, uh, because we didn't have all the systems, you know, perfectly mapped out for our franchisees, and we were dealing with some economic headwinds. Uh, so we had to just sort of muscle through our way through that. And I, I do think it made better business owners out of us. It helped our resiliency and grit muscle mm. uh, get stronger, which I think is critical for, for any business owner. That's excellent advice. We could ask a lot. Uh, we yeah. work with a lot of independent business owners who are curious about franchising their business. And, and we usually do suggest that they have at least a second mm -hmm. and maybe a third location to show that that model is replicatable and can be uh, successful in other markets. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, excellent I, point. I think there's, there, there's sort of a glamorized notion of becoming a franchisor uh, because small business is hard no matter what business you're in. And so the small business owner might think, hey, and we had this thought too, hey, I could franchise this business and I will 
make quote unquote passive income or royalty stream <laughs> from the franchise owners, but there's nothing passive about franchising. It's a, it's a whole new business model. Uh, you've got to be very actively engaged in uh, what we call awarding, but selling the franchise and then training and supporting the franchise owners to help them be successful. And it's not until you have 50 or even a hundred franchisees in your system where the royalty stream becomes sufficient uh, of scale to, to cover the overhead and the infrastructure and the reinvestment that has to take place uh, to, to help the business grow. And so we didn't have all that knowledge. We kind of learned that stuff as we were going through it. Um, but I think uh, having that, that eyes wide open approach to what you're getting into, if you're going to franchise a small business, uh, is, is very important to, to be aware of. It's, it's, it's a long road, but it's, you know, once you make it to the other side where we have, uh, it can be very lucrative and fulfilling. So your role completely changed, right? Your role as the owner as owning your own location of a college hunk, hauling junk and moving business versus being a franchisor, completely different responsibilities, right? Absolutely. So we had to put a full-time general manager in place to run our, our local moving and hauling operation up in DC, which is where we started. And then we had to set up a call center to support our franchisees. So all of a sudden we were in the call center business. We had to learn how to market uh, for franchise candidates and of course join the consultant networks. And we had to learn how to walk a franchise candidate through the process of you know, evaluating if this was an opportunity for them to then ultimately purchasing the franchise. And of course, once they invest in a franchise, the obligation becomes the franchisors to help get these people up and running and, and, and in business and hopefully successful uh, to follow those systems. And so uh, we were in a whole new business. We were no longer just in the moving and, and hauling business that we had gotten pretty proficient in, but we were now in the teaching others how to be successful in the moving and hauling business, uh, which was a whole new world for us. Well, and it's super important as a franchisor to make sure that your franchisees are successful because it's really hard to grow your franchise if your franchisees aren't doing well, right? I mean, you, you, they have to validate well and hundred percent. I mean, to- at our company, we say if it's not improving our franchisees' revenue, our franchisees' profitability, or our franchisees' fulfillment, uh, then it's not something that we ought to be doing. And uh, at the end of the day, a successful franchise system is so uh, reliant on the what we call the unit economics or the economics mm-hmm. of each individual franchise owner. Uh, and it's, it's the sum of the parts. And, and it's a very unique, you know, very, I think, uh, admirable business model. It's a very interdependent ecosystem where, you know, we're all investors in this same common enterprise. It's the brand. Uh, that, that over, you know, kind of sits over all of us collectively, uh, but we each play a different role. You know, our role as the franchisors help identify uh, the franchise candidates that have the most likelihood of success in this type of business and then help support them through that. The role of the franchisee is to put in the heavy lifting and the hard work and the commitment and the passion for that brand. It's not just, you know, going to happen for them. They have to work the, the system in order to have those uh, successful outcomes as well. Uh, but I think having that mindset is, is really critical in understanding uh, that interdi- interdependent nature of this business model, I think, is, is important for all, all constituents. Another great point. Yeah, really great point. Okay, so you're just getting started and you end up on Shark Tank. <laughs> so tell us about that um, experience. I would, I would love to hear you 
share your Yeah. So I think at the time we had maybe five or six franchise owners and we saw an ad in Inc. Magazine that said, uh, looking for entrepreneurs to pitch a business idea for a television show, uh, you know, major network pilot pilot episode. And so um, uh, at the time we were actually curious, like, what could we pitch a TV show about? And we said, you know what? We or what could we pitch a business about? Because we weren't really looking to raise capital for College Hunks. And we had actually had a, a fun idea for a sister company. We were going to call it College Foxes Packing Boxes. <laughs> um, so we actually sent in our pitch video for College Foxes Packing Boxes and got selected for the show. We went on Shark Tank, uh, episode one, season one, uh, pitching that idea. Uh, but the sharks very quickly wised up. They didn't want anything to do with a business that didn't exist and, and <laughs> still does not exist to this day, uh, but they wanted equity in college hunks. So uh, Robert made an offer, Robert Herjavec made an offer, uh, which at the time I think was probably a reasonable offer given where we were in our business. We turned it down. Um, that would have been worth a lot more you know, today, certainly, uh, had, he, had we accepted that offer. But the other thing is, uh, you know, we really didn't know these sharks were going to become television celebrities because all we knew was this it was this pilot episode. Uh, Most of the Mark Cuban wasn't on the show yet. You know, most of these guys were known as successful business owners, but they weren't television uh, sort of personalities yet. And so uh, and so we turned it down and, and, uh, you know, the the episode reruns from time to time on on CNBC and uh, we'll get a little spike in web traffic when, when that happens. Uh, but I think that kind of o- helped at least put our brand on the map a little bit as a national uh, company and and was a great opportunity, great experience. I love that story so much. So my next question is, do you regret not taking Robert's offer? I would say no. No, no, I don't regret it. I mean, hindsight is certainly always twenty twenty, And, you know, who knows, maybe he could have helped us get to where we are faster or made some connections or introductions for us. But uh, the 10% that he would have invested in uh, at the time would have been worth over 100 times uh, today what, what, what he had put in then. So I'm much happier to have that equity still on, on my side today. Um, but, you know, who knows? He, he might have made it, been able to open some doors, that, you know, being that he is now sort of like a, a TV celebrity. Uh, but, but no regrets there. I love it. That's such a great story. Um, so... You also mentioned uh, in the beginning that you started this business with your very good friend. Um, So I would love some insight from you. His name is Omar. He's kind of, you're more in the forefront. I'm assuming he's kind of more still on, well, tell us his role. I don't want to make any assumptions. And give us a feel for that partnership relationship. Yeah, I think we've been really fortunate. Omar and I met in 10th grade. Uh, mm-hmm. We like to joke we were we were partners in crime in high school and, and partners in business now, you know, post-college. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of a lot of people aspire to be able to go into business with a friend or with a family member. And there's a lot of horror stories out there about how that ends up. And I think uh, for us, what has always been the key to our success as a partnership is that our vision, uh, in in other words, where we're going as a brand, as a business, and our values, kind of what we stand for, how we get there, have always been in alignment. So while we may disagree on certain tactics or may have different approaches to how we do things on a day-to-day basis, uh, we've sort of always kept an open mind, an open line of communication of trust and, uh, you know, and accountability. Uh, so, you know, with that trust 
we're able to have healthy conflict and there's no resentment or there's no uh, sort of uh, animosity towards one another if, if we disagree or have disagreements uh, because we put the vision and the values back in front of us as, as the core of what we're working towards. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to be able to have somebody who I consider, you know, a, a close friend uh, to be able to celebrate in the, the victories and, you know, experiences like Shark Tank and things like that. Uh, also, it's been great, you know, to have somebody like that when things haven't been easy, whether it was, you know, as I mentioned, the recession of 08, COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even now the economic climate is not what it was two years ago. And so I think uh, having uh, having a, a good friend in the trenches to be able to navigate that has been great. And then we've also been able to embrace each other's strengths. You kind of alluded to it. Uh, we follow this business model called the entrepreneurial operating system. And so Omar is much more of a kind of pure visionary entrepreneur. It comes up with a th- you know hundred different ideas, uh, you know, kind of very creative marketing um, mindset. I'm a little bit more obsessive compulsive about the details, <laughs> the nuts and bolts, and and things like that. And so um, you know, while that while those two differing personalities may frustrate each other from time to time, uh, we also I think uh, complement each other quite a bit, and and that's been beneficial to the company as well. Yeah, I think that compliment is huge. It just you each know your strengths, you focus on that, but each other, you're each open-minded to the other person's um, ideas and maybe concerns. He's kind of making me think about what Jana Bailey said about her and Karen Katie, our CEO, and then our director of ops, because Jana said, I'm come up with, we can do this and we can do that. And then Karen kind of brings her back down to earth on what exactly uh, would make sense and would be realistic for our company. So mm-hmm. actually I was yep. thinking about how we, um, Sarah and I share a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses <laughs> and that's not always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's true too. So we recognize what our strengths are and when we don't offset each other sometimes cause our weaknesses are the same too. <laughs> yeah. But you know, even if you don't offset, then have, you know, have somebody on the outside that can yeah. complement or offset that, uh, those elements, but being, you know, being sort of self-aware and, and, uh, yeah. also sort of collectively aware as a partnership, I think is really, uh, really important as well. Yes. I think self-awareness is key. Like, what are you good at? Sticking with that. Knowing what the other person's good at. Sticking with that. And then if neither of you are good at it, to your point, bring somebody else in that is. And staying in your lane. We Mm -hmm. talk about that a lot because we have a lot of couples going into business together. Um, Or sometimes it's parents and children or grandparents and children. And I think it's important to define lanes so you're not all stepping on each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of that comes through evolution, but communication, I, you know, it's, it's cliche to, to, to hear or say maybe, but, you know, the key to so many relationships, whether it's a friendship, a marriage, a business partnership is just open lines of communication, not taking things personally, uh, being direct, not being resentful or, or back, you know, backdoor uh, conversations. And, uh, you know, and then again, having sort of a, a greater mission or cause it's ahead of the individual ego, uh, I think is, is, is all pieces, pieces of the puzzle. So I want to go back really quick, switch gears. I don't want to skip this. Um, college hunks came up as something catchy that Omar's mom came up with, but then you, there's actually, it's an, actually an acronym that represents your business. Can you tell us what that is? Yes. And, and I'll credit Omar with the acronym. As I mentioned, he's sort of the, the creative visionary. Uh, we had so many people in the early days of our business ask us, you know, are they all really hunks? You know, are they all really in college? And we got honestly tired of answering that question or not having a good answer for that question. So we came up with an acronym. We redefined hunks uh, 
and it stands for Honest, Uniformed, Nice, Knowledgeable Service. And so by that definition, we've expanded the, the, the broad view of what a hunk represents. It's not just the physical, you know, Mr. Mr. Universe looks that some <laughs> people might associate with that word, uh, but it's the service aptitude. It's the appearance uh, in uniform. It's the trust and care that, that we ultimately are looking to uh, provide to our clients. And then uh, building leaders is one of our core values. And so the idea is that all of the employees who come work with us are going to learn skills that they'll be able to carry throughout their career. So it's almost like a college in and of itself uh, coming to work at this organization. So we're able to sort of maintain elements of that, uh, the, the heritage of the name. And, you know, Omar and I having actually been the original college hunks when we were in college uh, to now today, you know, having over three, 4,000 hunks all around the country uh, providing the service. I, I love how you that has evolved and um, how you're you're really uh, focused on, you know, you have a mission behind those employees yeah. and, and developing those leaders and, and you know, building them and, and teaching them things that they might not have otherwise been able to learn if they were just in a hourly job somewhere. So your franchisees yeah. have to follow that same mindset as well. Absolutely. I mean, we so obviously. um we consider ourselves, I would say, purpose-driven and values-based as an organization. And our, we have four core values, one of which, as I mentioned, is that building leaders value. And the idea is that we're not just hiring uh, people to come move stuff. We're hiring people that are wanna, wanting to help our clients through a stressful time, whether it's you know moving or, or getting rid of their clutter, uh, but also want to improve themselves, actually have uh, aspiration to, to be a better human uh, and, and to be a better person and be a better leader. And so uh, creating a business that can then be a platform uh, for individuals to pursue both personal and professional development uh, is way more rewarding for us as founder entrepreneurs than just creating a business to try to make money. Uh, yes, the money is great, uh, but we also say without a margin, without margin, you know, there's no mission. So we've got to be profitable. We've got to have a sustainable business if we're going to be able to deliver on those uh, those values and our company purpose and uh, in, in making that positive impact. And so uh, I think we have a great opportunity as growing up. I always envisioned I would one day become like a basketball coach or a, uh, some sort of sports coach. But I think we've been able to inject elements of that into our business uh, by the way that we teach our franchise owners to coach their team members and, and help develop their their team members to be be better leaders. Wow, um, there's yeah, you are coaching in essence, right? And you have a program, um, future franchisee, I think, and then you also do something for veterans. I want you to touch on that. Yeah, so we uh, we, we do a lot uh, from, a, from a social uh, engagement standpoint. We donate two meals for every completed job to U.S. Hunger. We actually just completed over three million meals donated wow. since we launched that program. Uh, we have a program during uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month where we're providing free moves for survivors of domestic violence. Uh, but then, as you mentioned, we've got our future franchise development program where uh, we put uh, aspiring team members that have really proven their uh, themselves in on a on a track to become if they so you know wish to become a franchise owner and have the ability to earn a scholarship uh, as a franchise owner and then we also have our vet fran program uh, both a discounted uh, veteran uh, franchise program and then uh, you know continue to look for other ways to engage our veterans that a little over ten percent of our franchise system are actually veteran owned 
businesses. And so we think there's a lot of skill set and experience set that can be applied from experience in the military to uh, running our businesses, our franchises. And so uh, we've been very grateful to, to have that opportunity as well. That's amazing. And I love that mission behind, um, you know, the whole business. And it's yeah. just not all about making money. So we have a lot of clients. I feel like more and more these days, I mean, obviously people want to make money, but they really also want to feel like they're making an impact. So, I, and we talk a lot about thinking more about you know, outside of just the, what the, what the business is like, yeah, you're hauling junk and moving, but there's so much more to what you're offering. So that's great. Nick, what advice would you give? What would you say are key ingredients for success in running a business? Oh, it's hard, hard to boil it down to a few ingredients, but the, the couple of keys that have always been on top of my mind is patience and persistence. Uh, so with that patience, I like to say urgency of effort, but patience for the results, uh, because, uh, you know, there's very few business owners that uh, felt like they made more faster than they expected to. Usually it's the other way around. And so you got to have patience, but and allow the momentum and the compounded effort to materialize. Uh, and then the persistence, because there's going to be challenges, ups and downs, financial headwinds, uh, stuff in your control, outside of your control, but you got to have that sort of grit and resilience to be able to, to navigate it. So I think those are the two uh, most important elements of, uh, of success in business is just having the patience and the persistence to, uh, to see it all the way through. Uh, there's a, probably 10 others I could rattle off that are more technical, whether it's you know, understanding sales or understanding finance or, or being able to measure your marketing or make sure you'll be able to hire and empower the right people. Uh, those are all sort of the technical aspects of uh, running a business. But I think the intangibles are those elements of the patience, the pe- per, uh, persistence, and, and that grit and resilience uh, that need to be uh, sort of within uh, or embraced if, if you're going to you know, be successful in any, any venture. I like that urgency of effort, but being patient for the results. And I couldn't agree more because I know I experienced that. I'm sure you did. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I love that line. I'm going to use it. Yep. Thank you. We're stealing that. We <laughs> steal stealing a lot, that. by the way. Oh, you know, it's, it, I forget who I saw. I was like a public speaker that said, you know, if, if he hears somebody else uh, give a really good quotable He'll uh, he'll attribute it to him like the first time or second time. And then after that, he just it's, makes it his own. Then it's yours, like, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, so I actually have a website, nickfriedman.com, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, uh, nickfriedman.com. It's got all my contact information, my social media handles. It's got links to our College Hunks website, uh, links to, uh, you know, other resources. Uh, we actually wrote a book. Uh, about 10 years ago called Effortless Entrepreneur. That was kind of the story behind our, our you know, getting the business off the ground. Uh, so that would probably be the easiest way to, to track me down. I have your book. Me too. Yeah. I meant to bring it today. I forgot. So no worries. All good. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate all of your nuggets and I'm going to be sure to share this with anybody that asks me about becoming a franchisor because you made some really good points and I appreciate that. So for those of you listening, thank you for joining us today. Please follow Sarah and I on LinkedIn. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E, and Sarah Wasco is W-A-S-K-O-W. 
You can also find us on our website, frannet.com, and on our YouTube channel, Frannet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. And lastly, you can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur anywhere on any po- on any podcast platform. Thank you. 